I was watching a show in ancient Egypt a while back. In it, an archaeologist was describing the contents of a cave which was discovered on a hillside that overlooked burial chambers, temple ruins, and monuments, all of which would have required a massive army of workers to construct. Inside the cave were clay receptacles used for making beer and drinking mugs dating back over 3,000 years. It was obvious. At the end of the day, some of the workers would hang out in the cave, drink some beers, chill out, and watch the sun go down. An ancient tap room complete with view. When I lived in San Francisco, Ankerstein Brewery came up with a limited edition bread-based beer based on an ancient Sumerian recipe. In London, toast ales using bread as well in their beers, although they're giving the ancients only the tiniest nod for inspiration, saying instead it's all about using old bread that would otherwise be dumped in landfills. My point is, in the beer industry, as much as we'd like to think that what we're doing is brand new, chances are somebody's done it before. Case in point, aging beer and wooden casks. Is this something new, or are we just going through a renaissance, touchy-feel movement with oak? Hi, this is Velo Mitrovich, and you're listening to Review Media's Brewer's Journal podcast. In this two-part episode, we'll be talking about the reasons why brewers have rediscovered barrel aging, the problems involved, and how you can cheat and get some of the same results. We'll also be listening to Chris Pilkington's amazing talk from the November Brewers Congress. Chris, formerly with BrewDog, is the head brewer at Estonia's Pohala Brewery, which has gained an international following for their barrel-age output, sours, and IPAs. So, how long have wooden barrels been around and used for beers? The ancient Egyptians, give them credit for trying, made sort of a wooden barrel, but with one end open, and with all of it being held together with either wood or reed bands, it never caught on. It was the Celts around 2,000 years later who were credited with the development of the barrel as we know it today, with iron bands wrapped around it to keep all the staves together. The Romans, perhaps the old-time world leaders in pinching other folks' ideas, could see the immediate value of wooden barrels over the fragile clay and flora that they used. If you don't believe me, go to museum and bump into one that obviously should have been fastened down better, and just watch how many pieces it breaks into. Thanks to the Roman Empire, wooden barrels spread everywhere. One thing that users noted quite quickly was that if the beer or wine was stored for any length of time in a wooden barrel, it would start taking on some of the flavor of the barrel. This could be good, most times it was bad. With a barrel being an investment, it could be used until it was no longer repairable, giving it a possible lifespan of 75 years or longer, depending on its use and treatment. I've seen barrels in a winery in Baja, California, which were easily that old. Legendary Belgian brewer Cantillon claims that some of its barrels in their aging program are at least 50 years old. So, back in the olden days, during a barrel's lifetime, it could hold olive oil, wine, beer, vinegar, or Roman anchovy fish sauce. Could you imagine the flavors that would be imparted to beer after that? Because I know you're getting excited about all things barrels. Let me throw in a quick barrel story here for you. In the late 1500s, when we got wind that the Spaniards were planning to invade, English ships started patrolling aggressively the Atlantic coast of the New World. One captured fleet of 10 Spanish ships 
had enough cured wooden barrel staves on board to make around 30,000 barrels, which were all turned into firewood. A year later, when the Spanish Armada got underway, it wasn't long before reports started getting back to Spain that the crews were dealing with barrels that were cracking, leading to water loss, food spoiling, and illness. You see, the barrels that Spain had to make in a rush for their Armada were made from green wood that held too much moisture. As the wood dried, the barrels cracked. According to Garrett Mattingly's book, The Defeat of the Spanish Armada, out of the 30,000 sailors who left Spain, around 10,000 were lost in battle or storms. The same number were lost to issues related to poor quality barrels. If the Spaniards had had better barrels, to all mi amigos listening to this, todos poseramos estar hablando español. We would all be speaking Spanish. If any one group became masters of wooden barrel aging and beer during early times, it was the German and Belgian brewers. But then, there really wasn't too much choice back then, for everyone had to use wood. I have to guess that in every beer-producing nation, there were barrel masters. Wood was the material that was used for the construction of beer barrels, storage vats, mash turns, and just about every brewery vessel except for the brew kettle, which was copper. For hundreds of years, beer was fermented in wood, aged in wood, shipped in wood, and served from wood. Brewers were aware that virgin wood barrels can impart a flavor on the beer, which varied depending on the type of wood, or used wine, whiskey, or sherry barrels could also give a one-off flavor. But the wood ceased to provide anything to the beer, except maybe bacterial infection, after the initial use, and beer barrels were extensively reused. Was there some sort of golden age of beer back then, thanks to the use of nothing but wood aging? I have my doubts, no matter how many images I have in my mind of monks, Falstaff-type characters, and large, strong women quaffing their foamy beer with a smile on their faces. Wood is porous and notoriously difficult to clean. Beer shipped in wood had to be con either consumed in short order or preserved by heavy hop rates, high alcohol content, or both. The birth of IPA. A sort of preservation could be achieved by shipping beer that was still actively fermenting or cask conditioning, an inexact procedure that depended heavily on the skills of the pub owner to serving in. In any event, there must have been one hell of a bonfire when metal kegs, fermenters, and storage tanks came into use. However, some brewers, and particularly the Belgians, realized that if you wanted a sour beer or any consistency in your sour, you needed to reuse a wooden barrel that had the sour taste you wanted. While this is down to a specific bacterial infection, who knew that at the time? Oddly enough, perhaps showing how short memory is in humans, but some breweries have cashed in on the romance of wooden barrel aging by implying strongly that that's what it uses. Well, later in the program, I'll go into what Budweiser is all about with their beechwood aging process. Ask any American what it means, and they'll tell you that Budweiser still ages their lager in wooden barrels, just like hell they did in the old country. While Budweiser shrewdly never mentions the word barrel, is what all people see in their minds. As Freddie Heineken, the company's legendary CEO who died in 2002, used to say, people don't drink beer, they drink marketing. 
He understood that selling beer successfully is a matter of psychology. It's all about image and an emotion. Right now, that seems to be shifting to wood. So to answer my earlier question, yes, barrels are experiencing a renaissance. How did this come about, though, and why? Let's face it, once brewers didn't have to use wooden barrels, who would? And again, for the most part, these guys weren't using wooden barrels for flavor. It's all they had to work with. Outside of a few clusters scattered here and there, it was a dying art. But the rumors were always out there that beer and wood tasted good. This rebirth happened in the States with the craft beer industry and its fans who were, and are, always looking for that next big taste that sets them and their taste buds apart from the rank and file. As the American craft beer industry blossomed, some brewers began using whiskey barrels to age a few beers. Their intent was to bring out some of the interesting flavors in the wood that were left over from the previous use. In other words, the barrel itself was now going to be treated as one of the ingredients. The most noted of these modern pioneers was Greg Hall at Goose Island, who started using bourbon barrels from John Bean in 1992 to make his Bourbon County Stout. Others give credit to New England brewer Sam Adams and its triple block. A few years later, the fighting brothers-in-law Adam Firestone and British expat David Walker sat in the family-owned Firestone Vineyard in Central California, surrounded by wine barrels, and planned a new craft brewery that would be distinguished by the use of oak barrels to ferment their beer. I suspect, too, in all this, is that the brewers, even those not too keen on the use of wooden barrels, realized the importance of brewery visitors and what's more romantic or traditional-looking than a row of aging barrels. Of course, let me throw this in now, which will hit hard in the second part. Are you just putting beer in barrels because that's what you think you have to do? Or are you designing beer for barrels? At the 2016 Great American Beer Festival held in Denver, the wooden barrel-aged strong beer category was one of the most competitive, with 159 entries, according to Company Week. That number increased in the following year to 175. Chicago's Festival of Wood and Barrel-Aged Beer which began in 2003, featured more than 150 breweries at its 2016 gathering. The following year, it included 206 breweries that were barrel-aging beers. In October 2017, Sam Adams released a tenth vintage of Utopias, a 28% ABV barrel-aged barley wine. The brewery produced 13,000 bottles for 2017, priced at a $199 each, as in one bottle. That same month, Colorado's Weldworks was selling bombers of its 14% ABV barrel-aged imperial stout for on-site enjoyment in their taproom at $40 each. So why was this happening like gangbusters in the States and not here? The UK has a much longer tradition of wooden barrel aging. Good question. For bourbon to be called bourbon in the States, a distillery's aging barrels can only be used once, like wooden pallet stacks outside of supermarkets. For some distilleries like Jim Bean, Jack Daniels, and some of the other major players, getting rid of used barrels was once a bit of a hassle. 
Until it started getting popular, the barrels were pretty much there for the taking and contained enough residual character to flavor the beer if it was left in there for a while. Rye, whiskey, rum, tequila, and even some wine barrels are being used in this way. Costs have risen from, for God's sakes, just take them away, to anywhere from $100 to $400 a barrel. For some breweries like Avery in Colorado, having around 3,000 barrels being used at any one time, this represents an investment. Throwing a temperature-controlled 42,000 square foot warehouse to hold them in future expansion barrels, and you're talking a big chunk of change. Interesting enough, some of the distilleries are now using beer barrels to age their spirits in. At this point, I need to bring out that barrel aging is not the same as cask condition. You're not attempting to create any CO2. Whiskey, bourbon, and other spirit barrels are not designed to hold a pressurized product and cannot be used for fermenting, which produces CO2 unless they're vented. Almost every wooden barrel brewery seems to have a story about an exploding barrel. Mostly, with a few exceptions, today's barreling process is really just a flavoring procedure in which a fully fermented and finished beer is held in a used barrel for a period of time. Sometimes a brewer will simply barrel age one of their standard products. Stone's Brew says combining several aged beers together or taking an aged beer and blending in a significant amount of unbarreled beer with it is not common. Anchor says it is, so take your pick. The length of time the beer remains in the barrel can be as little as a week or two or can be as long as a few months to a year. Depends on the brewer, the type of barrel, and the intended result. Due to the extra time and expenses involved, Barrel-aged beers are typically sold at a premium and are usually in short supply. Can any style be barrel-aged? Yes. Should every style be barrel-aged? No. It's like deep fat frying. Can every food be deep fat fried? Yes, but should you? Most brewers agree that barrel-aging is best suited for beers with higher alcohol content and stronger flavors that can stand up to and not be covered up by the various flavors in the barrel. Imperial stouts and strong ales are what brewers commonly age, and while most would agree that you should avoid aging beers with fresh flavors such as IPAs or wheat beers, you can be guaranteed somebody is trying to. According to Neil Fisher of Weldworks Brewing Company in Colorado, the most obvious reason to age beer with wood is to extract the unique flavors and aromas that only wood can deliver. The origin of the wood itself, as well as the way it's been treated, influences the final product. While most talk about oak, cedar, apple, and other woods are used as well. Wood aging can impart some unique flavors such as vanilla, butterscotch, caramel, toffee, coconut, chocolate, coffee, and tannins. Tannins are astringent compounds found in red wine, black tea, cider, and wood-aged beers. As promised, at this point, we'll listen to the first half of Barrel Wizard Chris Pilkington's amazing talk from the November's Brewer Congress. If you don't know about us, then we're still quite a young brewery. We're only just turning six this coming year, so we're not very old. Um, but in that short time, then, we've become really well known for our dark beers, our Baltic porters, our sort of foraged forest series ones, and mainly the sort of the jewels in the crown, our cellar series and those are what we call our barrel-aged beer, pro uh, our program of barrel-aged beers. 
Those have compromised everything from uh, an imperial Groot aged in two different types of bourbon barrels to an imperial Baltic porter we released for Estonia's 100th uh, anniversary this, uh, this year. A Baltic porter aged in um, a blend of cognac barrels, bourbon barrels, and liqueur-soaked oak cubes. And we've done everything in between. And part of the reason for that is because we've started off on the sort of the small scale. We've been experimenting with that barrel aging. And I just really want to tell you sort of how we've built up our program the way we have, some things that we've, uh, that we've found work well for us, and uh, sort of what you might want to take into account when you're starting up your own barrel program or what to look for. Um, because we've kind of made quite many mistakes along the way, so hopefully you can take some of them away and not make the same mistakes, just different ones. One thing to bear in mind, of course, is taste is completely subjective to all of us, as you know. So what works for us might not work for you. So what follows is just what's worked for us. Now, I really feel that there are three main components to building a great barrel-aged beer, and you need to be aware of them all at the very beginning. The first one are ingredients. The second, process. And the third, concept. All basic things that I think we're all doing when designing beers in general. But before that, then I think we all should ask ourselves another question, is why? Why you would want to barrel age a beer? Because barrels are expensive, they take up ages of time to, before they're ready, they tie up storage space, they tie up your cash flow, and at the end of the day, you might get an infection and the whole hard work and that beer is spiraling down the drain and you're just maybe wiping a tear away from your eye as you think about that, but there we go. So, I think there's many reasons and a lot of them are down to uh, down to sort of testing your metal, finding your own sort of true north. We think, we think that you can learn a lot about how to balance your other beers when you're working with these barrel-aged beers because you're no longer sort of just dealing with those four ingredients. You're actually having to think sort of how can I make a beer that's no longer dominated by the oak, by the spirit, or by the beer itself? How can I get all those things working in harmony? To add what Chris is saying here, Andy Parker, who is Avery Brewing Company's chief barrel herder, stresses the difficulty when you first start with barrels. He says, barrels are a bit squirrely. You put something in a barrel that you cannot always accurately predict what will come out. A big challenge for brewers to produce a barrel-aged beer year-round and keep it as consistent as possible. Back to Chris. You're also able to test out your skills in other ways. We moved into blending. Uh, we, by the way, we only do clean barrel-aged beers. Um, We've moved into the blending of different beers together as a sort of experiment, and that's all come from where we started from here. And it's just a great way to play around a little bit more. So uh, I think there's a lot of great reasons, and it is an expensive proposition, but, uh, but I feel like people know this, and they're willing to pay a little bit more for a barrel-aged beer that they know is then going to be top quality. That's why it's always important to be releasing only what you're proud of. So, getting on to ingredients. First of all, as with all good beers, then you need top quality ingredients, of course. The big thing to be aware of is you're no longer dealing just with malt, hops, yeast, and water. You've straight away, of course, got two extra ingredients. You've got the barrels themselves, where they're from, what they're made of, what they've held previously, and you've also got the beer going into the barrel. And because that all seems a little too simple and straightforward, you've also got time, and time is impacting all six of those ingredients. I prefer to think of time actually as a seventh ingredient. You can, uh, 
You can work different ingredients into that. You can work that around the other beers, give beers more time, give them less time. And that's another thing that you can make conscious decisions of from the beginning of the process. What we do is uh, we think of beer as an ingredient, uh, and we think of that in some ways when we're doing a whole batch, blending a whole batch or some different beers together, and also what's going into the barrel, even if it's a single uh, beer going into a single barrel, we take that into account. Maybe, for example, you're filling, uh, filling these barrels at the very end of uh, your fermentation tank. You've got to watch out that you're not pulling too much yeast out as you're doing that, because that's going to impact the, uh, the flavor development inside the barrel. You've got to watch out that you've not got too high a CO2 content in that beer from the tank before you fill the barrel. That's going to cause foaming, you're going to lose beer, and more dangerously then CO2 likes to try and escape. When it's in a sealed up barrel, what's the only way it can escape? Out the barrel, which we've seen, it's not pretty. But more than that, when you're sort of designing a beer that's taking up multiple barrels, a batch that's all going to barrels, then what you want to start thinking about is not, this is one, this is in tank, I've got a hold of these, let's fill it up. You rather want to start thinking from the ground up, what does this spirit taste like? What type of oak is it uh, been maturing in? And what can I sort of really get out? What can I tweak my recipe? Even if it's the same base beer, maybe there's something you can do to really improve it. I think one example of that would be, say you want to brew a malt-forward American strong ale aged in bourbon barrels. Fairly, fairly straightforward beer, you know what you're going for. But maybe with the addition of time, then that malt profile is going to die down a little bit in barrel. It's going to be absorbed a little by the barrel and overwhelmed by the bourbon. But what you can do, you can straight away sub out some of that pale malt with some Munich malt instead. Or you can target a different mash profile and really sort of build the dextrins inside there that'll last throughout that aging. Maybe you want to avoid some, uh, some of the crystal malts because you know they're going to oxidize over time. Barrels are unavoidable sources of oxygen in ingress, I think. And you can tweak it so that it doesn't have those sort of flavors that you're after. Or maybe what you want to do instead is plan a bit forward and say, okay, half of this is going into fresh bourbon barrels. Half of it is going to be into second fill bourbon barrels so that that character isn't overwhelming it. That's sort of where a larger barrel aging program can really come in useful. But those are still lessons that you can think of uh, beforehand. Maybe you can flush some of those bourbon barrels with a lot of hot water to strip out some of that flavor beforehand. All considerations. Um, I really feel like some of the best barrel-aged beers really do come when you have that home field advantage, when you really can think, okay, this is exactly what it's going into, how can I get the best from both worlds? Because ingredients are always expensive and you always want to maximize your use out of all of them. So uh, we've really noticed the, um, the, the impact that time has had on certain additions that we make to a beer beforehand. The picture on, yep, on your right, for example, this is a collaboration that we did with Teul uh, called Tanilin. We've now brewed that twice, and uh, we've made a few tweaks here and there. So the very first time that we did it, for example, all of those ingredients went in, went in either hot side or into the fermentation tank. We've since found that a much better, because of the oxidation, those flavors are changing as the beer goes, uh, goes through its life cycle. 
So now very often what we're doing is we're leaving those elements out of the barrel aging process until we've racked back to stainless. And from there we can add them in a bit more of a controlled fashion and get the most out of them. We really noticed that with a beer that we had coffee in, for example. Um, the base beer went out, it was a white stout, it went out the door straight away being ready with the coffee, with the chocolates, all sort of in there. And then we topped, uh, filled some to a barrel as well. What we noticed with the base beer is absolutely fantastic aroma a year down the line, even with the coffee through the way that we, uh, we get it. But the barrel aged beer, after about a year, the coffee notes had obviously faded. Coming out of the barrel, absolutely fine, so we didn't feel the need to add more. That was a big lesson for us. And we're releasing a new batch where the coffee is just on its way to us right now. The barrels are uh, being emptied in the next few days. When we come back next week for the second part of our special on barrel aging, we'll hear the next part of Chris's talk, and we shall discuss process and concept. We'll talk about choosing a barrel and ways in which you can get some of the same taste of wood aging without a barrel. This has been Velo Mitrovich, and you've been listening to Brewer's Journal Podcast. For more great podcasts, go to rebemedia.com. To find out about the next Brewer's Journal's lectures, visit www.brewersjournal.info. Thanks for listening.